Welcome to the podcast about everything. I am your host, Don Mast. Summer is officially here. Local attractions and treasures are starting to reopen after the COVID-19 pandemic. In this episode, you will learn about a 104-year-old historical society opening its doors for its 98th season in a very old 1849 mansion. Join me in listening to episode nine of the podcast about everything. Thanks for listening. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us for the podcast about everything. As you know, we are all about unique stories, storytellers, folklore, and history, and also historical places. And today, we have an intriguing guest who will be talking about a local historical treasure that I keep close to my heart, and so many more things. But before we do that... I'd like to introduce our guest, or, or actually our co-host. He's my well-educated partner in crime. His name is Mike Allison, and he is owner of Studio EFX. He's an incredibly talented artist, a historical restoration expert, a historian of all things interesting and weird. Um, he loves folklore. He's a lecturer for the Historical Society and a connoisseur of the great story. Uh, Welcome, my friend, Michael Allison. Hi, Don. Glad to be here again. Um, How are things going with you? Hey, fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being a part of this again. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, um, I look forward to this uh, little get together we have every week. And, you know, we try to have interesting and fresh stories. And I believe uh, from your intro, this is a week where I don't have to do a lot of the talking. I believe we have a special guest, right? Oh, yes, we do. Let, let me go ahead and introduce. And, and, and could you tell us who that is? Oh, absolutely. Her name is Julia Plummer Shocker, and she has a lifelong passion for history. Uh, she is the vice chair for the Blair County Historical Society right here in uh, Altoona, Pennsylvania. And she is a published author, which I have her book right next to me right now. She's also a historian, and from what I've heard, she's a world traveler. Uh, Julia, welcome to the podcast about everything. We are so glad to have you. Tell us about yourself. What's your story? Hi, Don and Mike. I'm delighted to be joining you. Um, So my story, in brief, is that I was born and raised in Altoona here for 20 years, and then I was an ROTC graduate, so I was in the Army for six years and then gone for 20 Came back at age 40, uh, working here still with Delta Health, and um, raised two boys, and I now have five grandchildren with one more on the way. I do love travel, as you mentioned, and of course I love history. So I was a history major, and I never got to use my degree. I used it a little bit in the Army when I was writing speeches for uh, a three-star general that I was his aide. But other than that, I was technical. I was in the Signal Corps. So I am so happy to be back to research and doing history. Well, that's wonderful. That is. Thank you for your service, by the way. Mm -hmm. Oh, my pleasure. (laughs) So I. I It it was peacetime when I was serving. My kids have been in uh, deployed in uh, seven combat deployments. So I never really had the experience of our uh, the servicemen and women that have been in overseas in deployments truly deserve our thanks. Well, we definitely thank them for their service as well. And um, in introducing you, I did mention that you are the vice chair for the Blair County Historical Society. And I read a fascinating article in yesterday's Altoona Mirror newspaper. And I, and I think you have some interesting news to share. We do. We are so excited that now that Blair County has moved into the green phase of COVID-19 virus, We have determined that it is safe to open the Baker Mansion on a very limited basis. So our Baker Mansion History Museum will open July 3rd. 
will be open every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. And we have such exciting new exhibits as well as we've finished the five-year renovation that Michael Allison, uh, yours truly there, has been working on for five years. This mansion has never looked better. So again, people will have to be cautious and careful. We'll be doing individual tours, not so many guided tours, and you'll be required to wear your mask and social distance, but it should still be just a wonderful experience. So join us uh, July 3rd or every Friday, Saturday, or Sunday thereafter. That's wonderful. And thank you for the nice compliment. Um, it's a labor of love, as I'm sure anyone involved with the historic society will readily admit. They're there because this is an architectural gem. It's unique in our immediate area. And it's just wonderful to have a facility uh, from a, another time. It's like a time capsule mm -hmm. um, for people to visit. Yes, and if I might comment further, if you have not visited the Baker Mansion in the last five years, really in the last two years, you cannot believe the changes. When I was a child growing up, you know, as a school child, we would go to visit the Baker Mansion and often in the summer, since I lived nearby, just to get cooled off, I would go there and bug the tour guides. But all the walls were white. You know, there were there were dead animals and the walls were white. And that's what I remember from my childhood. We we've eliminated most of the dead animals. <laughs> and there I defy you to find one white wall. The walls are amazing. But what you've done, Michael, with the stenciling, the recreation of historic colors. Mm -hmm. The, the dental work and the molding and the gorgeous ceilings, everything that was hidden under that white paint has been revealed and it is stunning. Well, thank you. So, so just the look of the building, not to mention that we do rotating exhibits and uh, we do have five exhibits with a sixth one coming at the end of July. Um, may I go over those exhibits oh, for you guys? Please do. Yes, yes. So our, our brand new exhibits for this year, we're starting with an Italian-American immigrant experience in Blair County. We're highlighting all of the Italians who made that journey from Italy. The big migration was between 1880 and 1920. Mm -hmm. And most of those who came to Altoona came after 1890. I would say between 1890 and 1910, we had a huge wave of Italian immigrants coming, mostly because the uh, conditions in Italy economically were so poor. They had barely finished the wars of unification. Southern Italy was rural, poor, agrarian. Sicily, also very poor. So the number of immigrants from Southern Italy and also from places that had specialties that they knew would be appreciated in the United States, Buccino, where the stonemasons came from. Everybody would come here, get jobs with the Pennsylvania Railroad. And so it was this huge wave of migration and we're highlighting individual families and showing that from the first group of Italians who came to their babies, the first generation of Americans, Italian Americans and second generation Italian Americans in some Blair County families are now at their fourth generation born here in the US with Italian descent. Um, the progression economically, educationally uh, jobs. It, it's just been a tremendous success story in the United States. And what's interesting, basically in the United States, 12% of our population, I'm sorry, 5% of our population in the United States is of Italian descent. In Blair County, 12%. It's double the national average. And it's because of those huge swells of migrant migration to, the, uh, to here for the Pennsylvania Railroad jobs. If you look around Altoona or the nearby areas, Galitzin Tunnels, almost every stone house in Blair County, uh, you see all the work that these um, early Italian immigrants did. That's our first one. The second one is that we have um, the Korean War, and we're looking at the Korean War through the lens of Staff Sergeant Ronald Mickle. He was a division photographer, and he took hundreds and hundreds of photos and we have his photo album and we've digitized a great deal of it. So that is on display. 
as well as uh, Don, your grandfather served in the Korean War. Technical Sergeant McMasters was a machine gunner. And we also have one of our heroes, hometown heroes, Sergeant Altiero, Staff Sergeant Altiero of Italian American descent uh, fought in the Chosen Reservoir. So these stories of our hometown heroes are told in the Korean War exhibit. Our third exhibit is the Victorian lady. It's really an American lady in the Victorian age. Their fashions and their leisure activities. Uh, one of their leisure activities involves hair, human hair and art. I'll say no more. <laughs> that's just, it's kind of back to those dead animals. I was yeah. gonna ask. Uh, yeah, those, uh, my grandmother had a Victorian parlor and there were, um, I'll just, I'll just spoil the punchline. There were hair wreaths and also uh, posthumous pictures of relatives. <laughs> Perhaps more posthumous ones than there were living ones. <laughs> well, I guess they realized they were out of time yep. and on a schedule. Then, yep, they were on a schedule. To get schedule. to see those photographers. Um, there are uh, another exhibit we have is uh, we've set up a room similar to a sort of a replica of the old Allegheny Furnace Company store. The Iron Master Elias Baker had uh, hundreds of workers on the Allegheny Furnace and they were dependent on his company store for their food and supplies. And he issued scrip, so not even real US dollars. So it was uh, one of those systems where they were forced to buy at his prices in his store. Um, and uh, we've set up that kind, the tools, the everyday utensils, um, like what kind of uh, lifestyle they had, what the work was like, say doing laundry, the lighting of the early periods and how it progressed from the 18th, 19th into the 20th century. So that's a fabulous exhibit. And there's a challenge in there. There's a little quiz where you look <laughs> at the tools and utensils and you try to guess what they were for. I did not score high of the 13 or 14 things on display i recognized five <laughs> um partially because hint hint i'm not a coffee drinker and some of it had to do with coffee grinding which i have never done and will never do um then our uh, last exhibit is uh the world war ii last year and for the year before we had a huge world war ii exhibit it was the major focus uh, because it was the anniversary of the uh Battle of the Bulge and several of the major events in World War II. Uh, we have downsized that and changed it quite a bit with a focus on the Italian-American experience. The Italian-Americans, so this was that first generation of Americans born here. Generally, when their parents migrated uh, here in the early 1900s, say 1900 to 1905, the children were being born 1920s. Almost every Italian-American born between 1920 and 1925 served in World War II. And what people don't remember is this was a difficult period for Italian-Americans. Everybody remembers that the Japanese were interned mm -hmm. in camps. Not too many people know that the Italians in some locations of the United States were also interned. Right. They were certainly under suspicion. The Attorney General issued in the Sedition Act and the executive order, it was against Germans, Italians, and Japanese, people of suspicion. Now here in Altoona, there was a lot less of that. They understood how loyal the Italians were here, the Italian-Americans and the Italians, and that they'd been working on the railroad delivering marvelous services. The railroad was key to the war effort. And so their labor was appreciated and no one here was interned. No houses here were searched except for German houses right. because of Operation mm -hmm. Pastorius. So the Italians had a better experience here, but they, you know, to have your sons give up their freedom to go fight a war for America, their newly adopted country and the sacrifice. I mean, some of the families, the II family, lost two sons in one year wow. so every italian family here knew somebody or had somebody in the war mm -hmm. yeah the area was known for its loyalty though i believe in my readings i did see that there were a couple of people who were german americans who did get a free vacation in florida for a few months uh, <laughs> right <laughs> right and nationwide uh, there were uh, 
several tens of thousands of Italians that were forcibly moved, yeah. relocated. Yeah. Um, so, but not here from Altoona. No. But you're right. If you're talking about Operation Pastorius, the eight uh, Germans who arrived by submarine mm-hmm. and came here to blow up the Horseshoe Curve, two of them ratted out the other six. Oh. So the FBI were able to round them up. Mm-hmm. But the FBI, in cooperation with Altoona police, did visit about 650 German homes here in Altoona and question them and take radios. Mm -hmm. They were they were looking for German American Bund members Mm -hmm. um, specifically, I believe. Um, Wow. And and I must say, Julie, I'm so excited to uh, learn about the Italian heritage um, exhibit that you have because my family actually i married into the de stefano family and they uh migrated here from sicily and they were actually stonemasons and they built a lot of the stone structures around here and i I've, I've learned from my wife's family about the great struggles and challenges that they uh, dealt with in, in coming to this country and not being able to pronounce their last name for example was a big one and so when talking about all these exhibits you have, all these new exhibits, uh, from what I've read, there are some rare artifacts, some unique things. I, I think there's a mantle clock that's unique to the location. Yes, I think that is not part of the Italian American experience. Right. But yes, we have what was described in the newspaper yesterday. Um, that article was written by Dr. Michael Farrow, who is our president of the Blair County Historical Society, and. He has some identified some very unique pieces. Um, one that mantle clock is also on display in the Smithsonian. That's how rare a piece it is. Um, a similar one is on display there. Oh, wow. So we do have some of this original and the original furnishings of the Baker family themselves. This is furniture that was hand carved in Belgium and brought to the United States specifically for this family and they spent a fortune on it and we have the original carpet in one of the rooms of the mansion that's now we're talking about a building that was built in 1846 so we're coming up on 200 years some things in the united states are 100 years old and sometimes 150 but when you get up to 200 that's really as old as the united states is pretty much um so it's a wonderful to see the high ceilings the original furnishings and um, these special pieces that we have it, it, that are unique. one of the things in the Italian American thing. I don't know if I'm spoiling anything here. We found that we have the original band drum from one of the Italian mutual aid societies that is actually no longer in existence. The Cristoforo Colombo, Christopher Columbus mutual aid society. Oh, wow. So we have many artifacts from the mutual aid societies. When the Italians came, they did not often get a friendly greeting here in America, 30 years prior to the Italian migration was a huge Irish migration. And also the German migration preceded the Italians. So when the Italians came, they got the jobs that the Irish no longer wanted. They, they had to move into the labor jobs, pure, hard, grinding work. For example, Gandhi dancers, who were the track walkers, mm-hmm. using specialized tools in a team of about six people, they would have to reshore up the um asphalt or the uh, sh- the shale that was under the tracks because the tracks would shift and the trains would derail so their job all day long was to make sure trains didn't derail mm-hmm. they had to walk along the tracks to do this miles and miles a day very hard backbreaking labor they took some italians directly from ellis island and didn't let them see altoona they made them go up to the mines further west of here and so those communities where the italians were shipped directly away from altoona and up to the mines, still spoke Italian only. Decades later, their children were not as educated as the Italian-Americans in Altoona because here we had the public schools, we had English, and that was your fastest way to progress in the Pennsylvania Railroad. The Pennsylvania Railroad gave English lessons to the Italians to, to sign up for. Oh, wow. But again, if you were shipped up and away to the mining towns because they didn't want them to see Altoona and the progress right. here. Yeah, there's we, when I was a kid, we learned um, some ethnic poetry and songs. And there was that famous one, Where Do You Work a John on the Delaware Lackawanna, uh, you know, which is a railroad. 
And what do you do with John? I push a push a push. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's pushing a truck along the railroad by hand. And the job was, besides just checking the track and doing the heavy labor of straightening the track and making sure it was well attached to the sleepers and replacing them, the the bathroom facilities on the train simply opened to the track. And the guy who pushed the truck went around with a shovel and cleaned that up. I mean, there's a, that's a humiliating, horrible job, but that's what they had the Italians doing. They did. But as the Italians became more and more educated, yes. some of the families just had huge strides. For example, the first uh, on the Santella family. Now, the Santella family that has the funeral home is one set of Santellas. The other Santellas, Saverio Santella came and he opened a grocery store and a restaurant. And his eldest son was born in Italy, but the Santellas came, Saverio Santella and his wife, Conchetta, came here before Angelo was two. Oh, wow. Angelo went to high school at Altoona High, graduated in 1920, top of the class. Went to Dickinson College, graduated 1924, top of the class. Went to Harvard Law School. Mm -hmm. This is an Altoona boy mm -hmm. from Little Italy, who went to Harvard, graduated in 1927 from Harvard, and was the first Italian on the Blair County Bar. That's awesome. He yep. worked for Judge Haberstroh. Yeah. And uh, there was a big party when he when this was achieved. Um, now, the interesting thing is he was not a member of Mount Carmel Church. His mother was and his father. They were the Catholics, members of Mount Carmel. He was a member of the First Evangelical Methodist Church. And that was probably a bit of a key to getting onto the Blair County Bar. An Italian Catholic probably would not have been admitted mm -hmm. to the bar. Yeah, probably mm -hmm. not. But You're right. Right. Mm -hmm. The the, the so. drive of our immigrants uh, that they bring that ambition and that energy with them is has long time for a long time been one of the things that's in that revitalized our culture over and over and over again and actually build it here in the United States. Indeed, indeed. I, I do have a question for you. For those listeners that we have of our podcast from out of Pennsylvania, you know, because we have listeners in Australia, we have listeners right now all over the globe, and they may not be familiar with the background of the Baker Mansion. And so could you give a brief history about who the Baker family really was? Sure. Do you want me to do that, Michael, or do you want to do that? Um, I don't know. I don't care. Why don't you go ahead? You are our guest. And, um, and you, fill in, you, know. you fill in the blanks. Okay, so <laughs> Elias Baker was married to Hetty Baker, and he was a successful merchant in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is, for those listening, it's sort of the Amish section and an agrarian section about 50 miles outside of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Well, it's probably more like 100 or 200 miles outside of Philadelphia, very flat, very Eastern Pennsylvania. He decided because at the time in the 1840s, the fastest way to a fortune was to become an iron master to make iron with a blast furnace. So he thought there was a, um, a furnace that had been out of blast. It was uh, no longer working. And he and a cousin came West to central Western Pennsylvania and bought the furnace and opened up the Allegheny furnace. And he was the iron master. And an iron master is sort of the head of their own little fief. They have workers who uh, mine the coal or the chop the wood, depending on how they're, how they're heating their furnace. You either need very, very hot wood or uh, hot coke or coal. And you need a water mill wheel that will cause uh, for power. You need a large stone complex which was already built that's what he took over the furnace itself and so they were making pig iron and their uh this was in the 1840s to about the 1870s 1880s until the bessemer process was perfected here in the united states the bessemer process turns iron to steel and it used to take weeks and weeks but once bessemer process came in it was now hours the iron furnaces that were all dotting the countryside of Blair County went out of business. So the Baker family made a fortune in the 1840s to the 1860s. Elias Baker himself built this huge house 
1846. At the time, it was like spending five million. I think he spent fifty thousand, which which today is a fortune wow. back then. Um, and so, but once the house was built, he became house poor because the the business was really not going. And his son Sylvester took over the business when his father died. Father died young, and uh, then eventually Sylvester just started so selling off the land that the Bakers had because the uh, the furnace was out of blast and the business was going downhill. But they, they built a ha house that at the time would have looked like a house the Vanderbilts built in Blair County. It would have been like the Breakers. It's, of course, not as large as the Breakers, but it is that sort of ostentatious, very luxurious uh, mansion sitting up on a hill in Blair County. And uh, the Historical Society acquired it back in 1922 for a dollar because nobody could maintain it. And so, again, we are so pleased and honored to be able to keep this house in good, in good shape and open to the public year round. Thank you for that, Julia. And, and from my understanding too, for, for folks that would like to uh, become a member of the museum or to learn more about the museum. And, you know, right now they're currently in their annual fund drive, their annual appeal. You could go and donate at blairhistory.org. That's www.blairhistory.org. And I'll make sure to include a, a, a link at the bottom of this podcast. That, that would be terrific. And if I might do a little commercial here, nonprofits, small businesses and nonprofits around the whole world are hurting because of COVID-19. And we're no different at, the, at Blair County Historical. We've missed our whole uh, spring every event in the spring and all admissions. So we're, our uh, funding is down 70% already since January, and we're not sure how we're going to make that up. So there is a long list of people we should be giving to, first responders, hospitals. These are very, very important things. But if you have it in your heart to give to a nonprofit, we are very, very, very grateful for any funding that comes our way. A dollar is, is very welcome. So if you go out to that website that Don mentioned, blairhistory.org and hit the donate button uh, we can take paypal or credit card payments online very secure um, we always would take a check if you wanted to mail it to 3419 oak lane altoona pennsylvania 16602 um, maybe don you can put that address out there Absolutely. as well uh, and again any little any little thing would help because we are not sure this year how we're going to get through um with the COVID-19 sort of disastrous financial situation for us. I'd also like to mention, just jumping in here real quickly, uh, that my cohort, Don, uh, who uh, we do the podcast every week, and so far we're not tired of each other, so it's working <laughs> out well. Um, I very generously approached us about shooting a 360 set of still shots that would be a self tour of the mansion. And so he did that and it's beautiful and it's up on both our Facebook page and also our website. And there's a, there's a pay button with it. So if you, if for those of you who are shut down or afraid to travel or because of health issues uh, connected with COVID are unable to travel, you can simply digitally view the mansion and take a self tour. And then if you want to help us sustain this beautiful, beautiful piece of architecture, you can make a donation there. And that especially works for our fans who might be out of the country and may never make it to the United States. You can tour our facility and see it. It's, if I do say so myself, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And, you know, thanks to Dawn, it's available to the world. Right. This, that 360 virtual tour that Dawn did for us, again, he did it free yes. and it took hours and hours and days of shooting. So we are so grateful. But you know what I did? I had my grandchildren who live out of state in Ohio and Virginia I made them bets on who could find their way to the basement faster. I, I would give them different spots in the mansion. Well, they loved it because, you know, little kids, anything electronic that is a navigation yes. tool, and that's yeah. exactly what this is. Find the doorway, go down the steps or up the steps. 
I'm not sure they appreciated the total beauty, but they loved finding their way around the mansion and none of them has ever been inside it. So now when I bring them up, uh, now that we're open, they'll already know how to get around, but they loved it. They, they really enjoyed doing the 360 tour um, that well, way. Thank you guys for your uh, wonderful kind comments about the 360 tour. Again, it's a great way for folks around the world to be able to enjoy this treasure that we have in uh, Blair County. And, and right now it's very important to uh, make sure that we protect the history of our, of our great country. And, and so, you know, if you'd like to donate, you know, we encourage you to go over to blairhistory.org. Now tell me a little bit, Julia, I know there are some summer events planned and I'm really excited about these. Oh my goodness. I would just go through the, the big events in July. We're very excited. So it all starts with on, on July 14th, if you're local here in Altoona, we're showing the movie Aladdin outside socially distanced. It's bring your own lawn chair family fun for all ages and it is free and this is hosted by the Blair County Drug and Alcohol Prevention um, Organization. So again this will be a free movie you can relax and enjoy it and it goes from 8:45 when it's dark to 10 p.m. on the backyard of the Baker Mansion. That's July 14th. That's a Tuesday. Then our big headliner event this summer is the Mansion Mania Rock Fest. We're, this is July 25th from 1 to 5 p.m. It's a live broadcast with Q94 doing the DJ responsibilities, and we're going to have a live performance from the band Half Tempted. Half Tempted does classic rock, anything from Aerosmith to Van Halen to Led Zeppelin. They are just terrific. Doug on the drums. Um, they have Ronnie and Bob on guitars, and Todd is on bass. It's uh, $15 per person or two for $25 and children 10 and under are free. That admission includes, of course, listening to the music and a meal ticket. Oh, wow. And additional meal tickets are available for $5. There is a cash beer tent. So it's um, just going to be a wonderful afternoon event with some good classic rock. Backyard of the Baker Mansion, July 25th, 1 to 5 p.m., you can see more about these events and you can purchase your tickets in advance on the website, blairhistory.org. So again, one person, 15, two for 25, that includes your meal ticket. And if classic rock isn't your thing, we have a quieter activity. <laughs> we have morning yoga on the front lawn, four Saturdays in a row in July, starting July 11th. So it's July 11th and the 18th, the 25th and August 1st from 10 to 11 a.m. Free, not free yoga, I'm sorry, it is a paid event. But for the four sessions of yoga on the front lawn, it is $60. Uh, that's basically $15 per session, but it it's a fundraiser for us. So we're getting some of that money for the, for the yoga. And that is run by um, a wonderful person named Sharon Green. And she's a superb instructor. So if you're looking to do something relaxing in a beautiful, probably one of the most beautiful places in Blair County, right on the front lawn of the Baker Mansion, relax to morning yoga on Saturdays starting July 11th. And again, I think we'll have uh, a, a full list of these activities as well as you can go to the website blairhistory.org to learn more. Yes, because we have activities August and September already planned. And uh, we're looking forward to just seeing the public again. But for the most part, most of our events are going to be outdoors because of our, our cautious reason. Julia, um, as you probably have figured out by now, uh, one big part of the podcast about everything is the fact that we love storytelling. I mean, that's pretty much my role here. I'm uh, when we don't have a guest, I'm the chief storyteller, and Don <laughs> does his fair share of it too. We we love literature, we love ghost stories, we love folklore, we love all kinds of things. But we think on this podcast that everybody has a story, and everybody's story is interesting. So it's you mentioned earlier that you know you spent a fair amount of time in the military. And of course, much of the focus of the new exhibitions and a lot of the past exhibitions based on the collection uh, 
at Baker Mansion and the Historic Society focus on the military. But it's my understanding that your family has a long history there. Is that true? Michael, that is true. So what's um, your story? My grandfather, <laughs> well, my grandfather, uh, Jim mm-hmm. Plummer, and his two brothers enlisted. They grew up in South Fork, and they enlisted in World War I. Uh, their youngest brother was only 17 at the time. And my grandfather, who was the oldest of the three, promised his mother that he would keep the three brothers together, that it was better for Jean to go at 17. My grandfather said, this is going to be a long war. Mm. He'll eventually be drafted. So let him come with me. And they did keep them. They all brothers stayed together. My grandfather had to turn down a commission to become an officer to stay with his wow. brother. Wow. And uh, they wrote that up actually in the South Fork newspapers. And you can find their names engraved at the center of the South Fork City. Uh, There's a monument where they list the folks from South Fork who served and those who passed away in the war, those who were killed in action, have a star beside their names. Luckily, our three Plummer brothers do not. Um, What my grandfather did not know, he wrote the letter on Armistice Day, November 11th, 1918. He wrote a letter home that the war was over. He said, we fired our last shots at 10.56 a.m. This was an mm-hmm. artillery unit trying to get rid of their ammunition. And the war ended four minutes later. Oh, wow. He had no idea that 25 years later, his own son, Tom Plummer, my uncle, would be wounded in the Battle of the Bulge oh. in World War II. And then my father was in the Navy at the time of Korea. He was not sent to Korea. He was sent to the Pentagon initially. And then by the time he was on a ship, the war had ended. So he served in the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. Then my father had three daughters. Two of us were in the military. I was in the army, which my father as a Navy man never (laughs) understood. And my sister was in the Navy. Uh, She was a Navy doctor and was in Mm -hmm. for 12 years. She made Lieutenant Commander. I was only in six years in the army, uh, made Captain, but I would call to talk to her. And I would say, this is Captain Mathis calling for Lieutenant Plummer, and uh, <laughs> Lieutenant and Captain, in the, the, a Lieutenant in the Navy and a Captain in the Army are equal rank, but a Captain in the Navy is an 06, and they would go run. I hear them, man, man, there's a Captain on the phone for you. Isn't that called pulling rank? And then, yes, yes, it didn't work too often. After a while, they had my number. Then my own, my two sons, uh, my older son went to West Point and of course went Army and my younger son was a ROTC graduate at Slippery Rock, also Army. They went Army Infantry. Wow. And uh, my older one has served three tours in Iraq and he's still in the military. He's now a major and he's with uh, Defense Threat Reduction Agency. That is, his job is to keep dirty nukes out of yeah. the United oh, wow. States. He works with special teams for that. And my younger son was a Green Beret, but he got out just a couple of years ago. He did uh, a tour in Iraq, a tour in Afghanistan, and a tour in Djibouti, Africa. Mm. So um, he was he was a uh, Navy uh, combat diver. So one percent of the Army, is, I'm sorry, he was an Army combat diver. One percent of the Army is special mm-hmm. forces, like Green Berets or Airborne and uh, one percent of the special forces that are green berets are combat divers so he went to a special school down in key um, Key west florida and uh so he's has the training i call it the harmonica award the badge that he has looks like you're where you're you're, you have a harmonica in your mouth what those are the rebreathers so the seals the seals dive often with tanks on their back the uh, the army combat divers do not they have those rebreathers that look like a harmonica (laughs) and uh so they're carrying a much smaller tank that is just pure oxygen. But his mission was the Somali pirate yeah. mission, you know, to, to make sure that they could yeah. board ships, sort of the Captain yes. Phillips thing. While he was there, while he was there, they did not uh, have to board any ships. Wow. Yep. So that is our military yeah. background. Well, I don't think that, you know, I, the average person, I don't think, realizes how complicated the military actually is. And, you know, when they have the very best people, those people can go quite far within within the structure. And um, I, I liken it, if I may, and I'm I'm probably going to embarrass myself here, but I liken it almost to being 
a restorer that if the military does its job well, just like a restorer does their job well, ultimately they put themselves out of business. We know it doesn't, it never happens, but it seems like that's a worthy goal. You know, if, if you can, if your military can achieve peace, then ultimately that's the goal. And if a restorer can restore a building or a painting or a piece of artwork to the point where it's intact for the ages, then they've just put themselves out of business. I kind of look at it that way. That's probably a dumb way to look at it, but that's sort of how I view the thing. Um, well, that's actually, that's in, that sort of brings us full circle back to Korea. Mm -hmm. Korea is often called the forgotten war. Yeah. And there are two views of Korea. Some people view it as a, a total stalemate, meaning at the end of World War II, uh, Potsdam divided mm -hmm. Korea. The Russians uh, agreed that the northern half would be communist and the United States agreed that the bottom half would be uh, a free democ democracy mm -hmm. under a dictator. Yep. But so it was World War II that directly led to the Korean War, splitting right. Korea. So Korea, the, the Korean War started when the North Koreans under Kim Il-sung and with the backing of both China right. and Russia, they had Russian tanks, in fact, invaded South Korea with the with the idea to reunite mm -hmm. the country. Uh, that was 1950. 1951, uh, they had gone all the way down to Pusan, the very tip of South Korea. Out, The United States entered the war, pushed up all the way to the 38th parallel, which was that was the dividing, the original dividing point right. was the 38th right. parallel. Mm -hmm pushed past it with Patton, then the Chinese communist forces came in, huge, tens and tens of thousands of communists then joined the war, pushing the United States forces back again to the 38th parallel. 1952, peace talks are ongoing, trying to get the war to end, severe and fierce fighting. 33,000 United States soldiers, sailors, airmen and Marines lost yeah. their lives fighting over the same 25 miles mm -hmm. back and forth for over a year and some people would say okay well at the end of that war there was an armistice but there was no so there's no right. peace treaty there's no actual solving right. it's just an agreement of a ceasefire yeah. but to this day when people would say well what did they fight for if the united states had not saved south korea when you look at a satellite view of mm -hmm. korea today mm -hmm. in north korea mm -hmm. it's black yep. You right. don't see lights. You don't see anything. In South Korea, you see a thriving economy, lights, food, people that are existing in a, um, a relatively peaceful and successful um, environment. In North Korea, they are starving and they have not advanced scientifically, except, you know, as we read bits and parts. But Phnom Penh, people who live in Phnom Penh are, are rich. Those who live in the countryside mm -hmm. are starving. So... Our, our 33,000 men preserved South Korea. So anyone who says it was a useless war or just a war to a stalemate doesn't really see the whole picture. You can see more clearly today the value of that, of that war than you could probably in 1950 to 53. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was well said. And, and, and again, I encourage folks who are in central Pennsylvania to uh, visit the Blair uh, the Blair County Historical Society at Baker Mansion. Uh, again, the address is 3419 Oak Lane, Altoona, PA 16602. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful mansion. I encourage you to learn more, not only about World War II history, Korean War history, but about the Italian-Americans who came to our country as immigrants. This is, and there's a lot of exciting activities coming up uh, all summer long uh, with social distancing and everything. It's, it's time to get out and meet your friends, bring your family and have a great time. The Baker Mansion, I just like to mention, um, is a treasure to the community. Uh, having community activities for families uh, where they can bring their children to, I mean, we, they've had Easter egg rolls and hunts, um, Santa visits. You know, we have ghosts who come and visit the mansion at Halloween. Uh, we have our, <laughs> we, once we're back 
to whatever the new normal will be. We'll have you know our speaker speaking engagements back. There's a lot going on there. And once again, this is a treasure. This is part of the history of the region. Uh, this is something, you know, as we as I like to say when I do give my talks on folklore, this is the story we tell ourselves so we know who we are. And that's what history is. And that's what Baker Mansion and the Historic Society is all about. It's preserving that story. So we know where we came from and who we are. Do you have time for a five minute uh, story about uh, women and, and, or where we are? No, no go ahead. We have five minutes, go for it. Yeah. Okay, so two things I wanna mention. The first is we are going to be celebrating the 100th anniversary of passage of the 19th Amendment to us from the National Archives. It's a pop-up exhibit that they're offering to some of the small nonprofits. So we're going to be getting ours at the end of July, and we'll, we'll put that up at the mansion and let everybody know when we have it. That's the second wonderful. thing is, I just want to tell a story of this little girl from Italy who came to Blair County. Her name was Mary DeMattis. She was six years old when she arrived in Altoona. Her family, her dad was a laborer on the Pennsylvania Railroad. At age six, she was so precocious. Hmm. She learned English very quickly and could read and write very well. Wow. And at age nine, Judge Bell out at the Blair County Courthouse asked her, he said, he asked for Mary to come to his courthouse to do some interpretation on a naturalization case. It had nothing to do with her family. But he had heard that this girl could speak English and Italian fluently, and she could understand and interpret well. So at age nine, she did her first case of interpretation at the courthouse. Wow. She became the official court interpreter for Italian for 55 years at the courthouse. That is amazing. That's a she didn't stop there. In 1922, recognizing that it was very difficult for the Italians in Altoona to send money home. One of the key things they did in America was they sent a lot of money to Italy to their starving families back there. But the banks around here were not cooperative about wiring money or sending money, especially translate, uh, um, converting it into mm -hmm. lira. So she opened the Banca Italiana. Ah. It's right next to La Joe's. You can see it today. It's a yellow brick building that says Banca Italiana 1922. Wow. That was the first Italian bank. It was a registered bank. She was the founder and president. Uh, she had others who managed it. And she ran it from 1922 to 1931. Uh, and that was her way of helping. She, she helped hundreds of families get naturalized because of her interpretive school skills and she opened that bank to help the workers help their families back home so mary dematis from age nine is such a hero in altoona and i had never heard of her until we started doing the research and her story is extremely inspiring so i just thought i'd put that out that's there. a wonderful story thank you for telling it yes fantastic Thank you so much again, uh, Julia, for being on our podcast today. Again, for everyone listening, grand opening of the museum is July 3rd from 11 to 3. And also, again, down in the podcast feed, you're going to see that you could visit BlairHistory.org to learn more and to also donate. And if you're out of the area, enjoy the 360 tour and, and, and explore this great treasure. And uh, before we uh, call it quits for today... Um, Michael, what's on deck for next week? Ah, we're going to try something new. We're going to start our part one of a two-part discussion on what might seem like a trivial form of literature, but do you know what? Do you know what movies made the most money in the last few years? Hmm, I think you're going to tell me. Movies made, on, made out of comic books. And do you know what the origin of those comic book characters and tropes were? Something mm. called pulp literature. So in part uh, one, uh. in part one, we're going to look at the um, British origins of this kind of writing uh, based on the Penny Dreadfuls. And we'll talk about oh, yes. authorship and how people who wrote of varying <laughs> abilities and degrees of talent were able to monetize their writing by publishing things in a serial fashion. 
And we're going to talk about some of the classic characters um, that came out of this. Um, characters like Springhill Jack and Barney mm. the Vampire and some <laughs> of the great mysterious detectives with their young boy wards and their fancy bulletproof Rolls Royces that were written about in these Penny Dreadfuls and Pulp magazines from about the 1840s on until the turn of the century. So that's part one. Part two, we're going to talk to a therapist who has written a couple of books and who has a therapeutic uh, uh, technique he calls gentling. And among the things he's going to talk about is fear and how it drives human reactions and human nature. And then we'll go to part two of our pulp literature um, uh, extravaganza or two-parter, and we'll talk about pulp literature in the United States and how in a strange way, not only did it invent comic books and superheroes and romance novels and men's He-Man adventure stories, but also <laughs> how it invented the internet. Oh, now, now I must say, you know, for, for those listeners who, you know, really don't understand how a podcast is created right now, Michael and I cannot see each other. And it's a blessing. kind of, yeah, well, yeah, because, you know, we're going to be talking about pulps and I'm thinking to myself, boy, I hope Michael doesn't wear a costume to kind of get into character for the pulp series. Uh, I, I don't, you never know. I do have that old Barney the Vampire outfit. So. I, I, t I want to hear how the internet was, uh, because I was down at Department of Defense when the internet was in its early, early stages. So it'll be interesting to see what your take on well, that is. Well, it, it's, it's some of the techniques that for better and in a lot of ways worse <laughs> were are part of the uh, internet culture and social media uh, were actually the first inklings of them were created by the editors of some pulp magazines. Ah. So hang on to your hat. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, so I, I just want to close out again, Julia, thank you so much for this opportunity to learn about the museum and all the great things going on there. Thank you for having me. I was very delighted to come on this podcast. Oh, it was wonderful and to have you. And just to kind of close out, I'd like to thank our listeners, our community of supporters, and I encourage you all to share this podcast and subscribe. And also, as we said at the very beginning, as Michael so eloquently shared, what is your story? Do you have a unique story? Because we love stories. If you have one, contact us via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and share it with us. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day and be safe. Take care. Bye-bye.